I wouldn't say it's conspiratorial because obviously we know money plays a big part in politics. But, you know, if you just say MSA blood money and this is, they want to kill smokers and blah, blah, blah. A lot of people that, you know, in public health or, or uh, in politics just aren't going to buy it. They're going to say this is just some wacko that, that has uh, this crazy theory. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. While it's 2022 and a new year brings fresh hope to vapors that a win, any kind of marginal win in the war on vaping could be had this year, there is always hope. But is it possible? Should vapors assume that the same old arguments made on behalf of vaping over the past decade could finally win the day? Or is it time to take a hard look at those arguments and to try to fashion something new? Joining us today on RegWatch to unpack that question is Matt Cully, vaping activist, board member at CASA, and host of SMM on YouTube. Matt, Happy New Year, and thanks for, for coming back on the show. Happy New Year, Brent. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I think it was June of 2020, and we all know kind of where everybody's heads were back then. <laughs> but you know, wild time. wild times. Since then, your YouTube channel has actually grown quite a bit. Let's start there. Tell, tell our audience a little bit about um, your channel. Yeah, I started making YouTube videos in 2014 um, just for fun. I, I had quit smoking the year before that. Uh, I had oral cancer from, uh, from smoking. Well, at least I, I won't say 100% it was from smoking because I can't prove that, but it was a spot right where my cigarette would sit on my lip. And uh, um, that basically is what got me to to look for different ways to quit. And I got really passionate about vaping and ended up making content about it. Um, the growth uh, lately has really been more international, I think. Uh, you know, I'm getting more and more views from countries like uh, the Philippines or Pakistan. Um, so it, it's pretty cool to see. And you can kind of, when you check out your YouTube analytics, you can kind of gauge where vaping is getting more popular just by the amount of views in, in those particular countries. Yeah. Do you think it's that it's more popular or it's that in those areas, the regulators are starting to actually really come down on vaping? I'm not sure. Well, in, in the the Philippines has been going strong for a couple of years, and yes, it was it it was even when they were cracking down. Now they're loosening up, and it seems like I'm getting even more views from because of that. Probably just because the the government is taking a, a bit of a softer tone. But uh, I, I I think it has more to do with popularity of vaping itself because. I didn't even realize Pakistan had much of a vape scene. Then I started noticing I was getting more and more views from Pakistan. So then I went down the rabbit hole and started researching um, uh, vaping in Pakistan. And there's a lot of blogs there. And, and it really seems to be uh, be getting more and more popular, which is quite interesting. Yeah, to give our viewers some scope, you have uh, over 330,000 subscribers and 78 million views on your videos. Like, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, are they their review videos, right? Their product reviews? Yeah, for the most part. Sometimes I'll do informational videos or, uh, you know, best of types of videos, things of that that nature. But uh, 95 percent of my videos are, are product reviews. So when we last had you on, there was a discussion about um, how vape reviewers were moving into the advocacy space. And you're one of them. And Nick Green, uh, notably another one. Um, in the last year and a half, two years that you've really been active in the activism space, you know, how do you rate where vaping has gone? 
That's tough to say because, I mean, I've been around the advocacy world for longer than that, but I've really, you know, uh, given a lot more time to it over the last two years. I became a CASA board member and uh, and I've done various other projects. I mean, compared to 2019 in the, in the middle of the Valley scare, I would say things might be a little bit better than that, but obviously there's still a lot of a lot of stuff that's up in the air and a lot of uh, uh, bad things that have happened since. If things may have improved a little bit since 2019, obviously 2021 was a bit tough. I mean, FDA started coming down with authorizations and they were so, (laughs) they were not good for vaping, I would say. What's your assessment of FDA? Yeah, I think that they did a pretty bad job in in 2021. We expected more progress, uh, more approvals than what happened. I mean, we saw a lot of uh, denials and uh, one approval, and then there's still quite a few companies that are in limbo. Um, I I think it was a a political choice to, you know, approve something like the, or it's not approve, authorize something like the Views Solo first. It's really like the the most unoffensive product out there. It's almost like they were dipping their toes in to kind of see what uh, the reaction would be. Um, but hopefully in, in 2022, we see more approvals. Now, I mean, is it, do you think FDA, and this is such a stupid question, I know the answer to, and so does every viewer that we've got, but how political orientated is it, or is it based on science, what FDA is doing? When it comes to the uh, PMTA process, I would definitely say it's more politics than science. Um, you know, and that's that that's unfortunate. And I, I don't think it's that way with all of FDA's decisions, you know, when it comes to things like food or whatever. But when it comes to vaping, it's very clear that they have gotten pressure from the antis. And uh, and that's why they've they've kind of held back a little bit. What about flavor bands? Um, you know, you're down there in the U.S., we're up here in Canada. It's hard sometimes to really get a feel of, you know, how many have been enacted and so forth. We always hear they're being announced and then being retracted or being implemented and so forth. I mean, how big of an impact have flavor bands, bands been on the U.S. vaping industry? Well, I mean, it's been detrimental to, to certain states that, that enacted them. I mean, states like Massachusetts or New Jersey and New York. I mean, it's it's decimated the industry in those places. And, you know, the vape shops that are still surviving are probably having to break the rules in order to, uh, to survive in those places. It seemed to have slowed down after, you know, a lot of states went through the ban process because of E-Valley. Since then, it's slowed down a bit, but every legislative, you know, new legislative season, we still see new states with bills that that are going to ban flavors. Most of them end up getting killed, but not all of them. So we'll see what this year's like. Now, a lot of shops have even just recently, some big players have been closing and some well-known and well-established, you know, vaping activists that also own shops have been closing. So, I mean, are we are we finally seeing the effects of the last couple of years? Could 2022 be a whole swath more of, of closings? Yeah, I mean, especially with uh, people getting uh, PMTA denials, you know, some of them are still trying to tread water. They're, they're trying other uh, uh, tactics like using tobacco-free nicotine, synthetic nicotine. Um, but some of them are just giving up and, and you can't really blame them for that. So, it, you know, we saw Avail recently closed down their their vape shops, or I think they might have sold some of them. But uh, um, and other big, big uh, players have have closed closed down recently as well. 
so it wouldn't shock me to see more of that this year, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's devastating uh, for this to be happening. It's, in a way, I think vapors somewhat suffer a bit of Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, been terrorized so much, and the ones that are able to still hold on, you know, are just holding on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, they've been going through this for years. I mean, I, I remember in 2016, because of the deeming rule, you know, no one knew what was going to happen then. And a lot of people preemptively closed shop then. Um, and so it's just been this kind of fight or flight thing going on in the, in the vaping industry for, for uh, six years or so now. And, and there's a lot of people that are just tired. Now, you posted this uh, great uh, series of a few tweets uh, a couple of weeks back, just with the turn of the new year, talking about some hard truths. Before I jump into those, set this up for our audience. Basically, I just wanted to, to make a tweet about some of the arguments that I don't think are very effective that we tend to use. It doesn't mean that they're not valid. They're, you know, they're, they're valid arguments, but I, I don't think that they're very effective and, and they've gotten kind of tired. And uh, so it, it's, it wasn't like meant to like scold anybody. I've used some of these arguments in the past as well, but I think that, that it's really time to, to sharpen our message and, and read the room, so to speak. Right. So let's take a look at uh, the first one of your hard truths is what aboutism? Go ahead and explain this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we we do this a lot, but this is just human nature to do whataboutisms. Everyone does it, right? But it, it doesn't always work well when when trying to uh, argue a point, especially in front of a, a a politician or someone like that. But I use flavored alcohol as as the uh, example because that's the one that we tend to use the most. And again, it's a valid argument. You know, why is flavored alcohol so accepted and and no one seems to ever care? But uh, flavored uh, e-cigarettes are are a big issue, and really, it just comes down to the fact that alcohol is an accepted risk in society, but but vaping isn't yet. And so, while you could tell somebody that, and they may understand your point, they're not scared of flavored alcohol, but they are scared of flavored vapes. Right. What a good point. So I cringe actually often when people bring that up. I mean, it's such a valid argument, but it's one that yeah. just does not seem to actually crack through at all. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's the way our brains work, right? We, we, we accept certain risks. We accept that a certain amount of people are going to die from car accidents every year. We accept that a certain amount of people are going to die from alcohol uh, every, uh, every year. But because vaping is still pretty new in society's eyes, I, I don't think that people have accepted any risks from them, even though we know the risks, risks are quite low. Yeah, and if there's one thing that our culture has been uh, <laughs> short of is being very open to accepting risks lately, because of course, you know, obviously the virus um, has played a kind of a havoc on people's tolerance for risk. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that we did the alcohol battle in this country already, you know, with with prohibition. And so, um, you know, that's kind of why I think society has taken a hands off approach with alcohol ever since. So it, it's it's just one of those things where where people pick and choose what risks they want to be fearful about. And unfortunately, vaping is fairly high up on that. So using that as an example, this specific one in terms of flavored alcohol is the recommendation to use it that way? I know we don't want to be that hard here, 
with these. But the idea is that if you're if you think you're going to use that argument and make that in public, you know, maybe think again. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's not to say that you're never going to find somebody. You might find somebody where that argument just works great with them. But, you know, we've seen it used for as long as I've been around. And that's been, you know, eight plus years now. And it's never really moved the needle. So it's not that I necessarily think it's going to be damaging to say it. I just don't think it's very effective. And so it does help to uh, to try to kind of widen your scope when it comes to uh, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of uh, narratives you want to use. Sure. So the second one then uh, of yours in the hard truths is the master settlement agreement, the MSA. Yeah, and this one, I, I before I wrote this, this one was the one that I was worried that was going to upset people the most. And it, again, it's not to say that the MSA didn't cause any issues and that uh, money doesn't play any part in in uh, what's going on today. But it is a very complex situation, and it's so complex that most state legislat uh, most state legislators don't even understand it. You know, if you if I go talk to a Montana uh, senator and I say talk about the master settlement agreement, nine out of ten times uh, that one of those senators is going to not have any idea what I'm saying. And so, um, while it, it's interesting, it's just such a long, drawn out conversation. If you really want to explain it well, and most people's eyes are going to glaze over, and uh, it, it's it's not one hundred percent valid. A lot of people will say that well. The MSA is why states like California or New York are so keen on banning vapes um, because they want to uh, safeguard that that money that they're getting in. But at the same time, those states are also trying to ban things like menthol cigarettes. And so if they only cared about, you know, that tobacco revenue from cigarettes, they wouldn't be trying to ban menthol cigs as well. So there's obviously more to it than just money when it comes to these things. Yeah, certainly on the MSA side. It's been a frustrating one for us, too, as well. However, you know, if, if I think the argument that does make more sense, but it's even broader, so harder to make, is the tobacco control industrial complex. So the entire yeah. complex of tobacco control is operating as a, as a living organism that must, you know, sustain itself. For sure. And, you know, if you have somebody that you can sit down with over a whiskey for an hour or two and like just hash all this out, then it's really freaking interesting. And uh, it might move the needle with ch changing their mind on some of this stuff. But we tend to butcher it. You know, a lot of people will say things that aren't even true um, about it, you know, like where the money goes to. Some people think the FDA gets money from the MSA, which isn't true. Um, and so, if you're gonna talk about the MSA, you definitely need to know the whole scope of of everything and and how it works. But at the same time, you could just get stuck in the weeds, and they're they're not gonna gonna care or want to dive that deep into something. So it's and and not to mention, it's also kind of it not it's not. I wouldn't say it's conspiratorial because obviously we know money plays a big part in politics, but. You know, if you just say MSA blood money and this is they want to kill smokers and blah, blah, blah. A lot of people that, you know, in public health or or uh, in politics just aren't going to buy it. They're going to say this is just some wacko that, that has uh, this crazy theory. Yeah. The only one there inside there that I found with, you know, lay people that are not part of the vaping industry or movement at all 
if you can get them to understand it um, at some point, it's just the concept of how some of the states collateralized uh, those yeah. early payments, they borrowed against it. And that's something you know savvy people do understand government's doing and and can explain a little bit about you know kind of the catch-22 that some of these states have put themselves in for sure but if you talk to some of these uh politicians you know usually they're they're democrats that are that are trying to uh to uh ban flavors or something like that and then you bring up the msa and talking about how their state has borrowed in advance and they're like 10 years out they don't even know what you're talking about. So like, that's obviously not their, their driving force or their motivation for what they're doing. Right. Well, a democratic politician, I can understand how they would not have a little bit of closed ears towards that for sure. So let's jump to uh, the next one uh, in our list. And this is lost revenue. Yeah. And again, it's another very valid topic, but I, I, you know, I think I explained it well there. If someone thinks you're selling poison, they really don't give a damn about uh, your business uh, surviving. So it, it's it's a good argument for someone that's already open or neutral with vaping. Um, but if it's somebody that's very anti-vaping and you start out with a, a business argument, they're not going to care um, because they think that the product you're selling shouldn't be sold anyway. So why why are they going to uh, be concerned about it? And so it's again it's it's not that that should never be brought up, but I do think sometimes we put too much weight on that argument and not to as opposed to trying to convert them first and then talking about the uh, the ramifications to your business. And I guess that and just also includes lost jobs in that too as well. Yeah, and you know, obviously some care, some won't, but I just have never seen it move the needle. Like, hey, hey, so and so, I'm, I'm my vape shop's going to close. I have four employees. You know, they're going to say sorry, but if they're anti-vaping, they're not going to have that much compassion for you. <sighs> Heartless. That's all I can say. Um, it, 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 you know, it's like I, I hope people understand the nuance too, and that's what I was hoping with that that text. It was like I wasn't downplaying the pain, the financial pain that people have gone through. Only that, like, you got to read the room sometimes and understand your opposition and know that, like, they don't care about your business if they think what you're doing is wrong anyway. True, true. The uh, fourth one we're going to show today, this was actually put up in response to your tweets, and this is by also another vaping activist we know, Stefan Dadek, and he threw this up, and it's all about the money and saying that, you know, it's ideology however misplaced and construed is a much bigger driving force opposing nicotine products. And, you know, other than the cash issue, it's less the money and more about the ideology. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that's fairly accurate. And you and I have talked about this topic before in the past and, you know, the, there, I consider myself a progressive, but there's no doubt that progressives have tried too hard uh, to save people from themselves on certain issues. And so, um, you know, obviously they did it with alcohol. Obviously they've, they've done it in, in quite a few other ways. And it, it's kind of interesting because there's a battle in the left between the kind of drug policy harm reduction groups and then the more, you know, puritanical progressives, I guess I would call them, that are still on this kind of drug war 
you know, tangent. And so there's kind of an internal war going on in the left over over some of these issues. But it's definitely an ideology thing. And and once, you know, you you think that your kids are being poisoned and this is big tobacco 2.0 and uh, these uh, um, these companies are just going to addict a whole generation to nicotine. That's that's where the, the the driving motivator is for for a lot of these folks. I think that the whole I mean, don't get me wrong, it's definitely a part of the the progressive platform. But I think that the whole saving the kids thing is has been kind of a universal thing for God knows how long um, where we where we tend to put them first on some stuff. I don't know. It's a tough one because I. I don't just see progressives using children's arguments. I feel like kids are just kind of like the stand-in for anybody's argument when it when you really want to tug on the heartstrings. Progressives really love it when they feel like they're battling the bad guy and they're saving the little guy. And you know, they they especially with vaping, this was set up perfectly for them because it's big. You know, once big tobacco got involved, then it was just you know the gloves were off and. Unfortunately, that's I think what uh, what clouds their their thinking maybe the most on this is just the the big tobacco involvement. You got parents now, especially you know ones on the left, where they would be more outraged to hear about their kid vaping than their kid drinking or smoking pot, you know. And so, like, why even the parents don't have the the risks weighted properly in their minds but it's also because it's been like just pushed into their head for the last couple of years how evil how evil vaping is it's become the boogeyman yeah one of the things that you had said in our last show episode that you were on back in June 2020 was that you saw the future as you know hanging on persuading pers progressives to coming over onto the vaping side has that happened in your mind um, I mean, it's a slow, obviously a slow, slow crawl. I think that since then we've gotten more and more people in the uh, drug policy and harm reduction space to take notice. And uh, we've we've seen them talk about it a bit more. We've even, I think since then, we've also gotten more uh, public health professionals on our site, at least more that speak up about it than, than did a few years ago. Um, but obviously we're still a long ways off and we're, we haven't um, uh, persuaded many progressive politicians yet. Uh, some of them don't seem to talk about it. They don't, they're kind of neutral on it. But, you know, even if you're with a lot of them, I think even if they're, they understand it, they get tobacco arm reduction, a lot of them aren't willing to put their neck out for this issue. You know, when, when the, the majority of their party is anti, um, they're not willing to spend the political capital on, uh, on being the outlier and, and sticking their neck out for vaping. Do you think uh, the fortunes for vaping um, are better off without Trump and Biden getting elected or vice versa, or is it even? Right now, I mean, obviously we're only one year into Biden. So right now I would say it's probably even. Um, I, I, I don't really see like a big difference so far. I will say that, um, you know, vaping got very politicized under over under Trump. And it wasn't necessarily like, uh, anyone's fault, but you know, when Trump decided he was going to ban flavors and, and the vape community and industry decided they had to court Trump to get him to change his mind, it, it made it even more of a political issue then. And I think, you know, pushed off, pushed away even more Democrats. So 
I hope that uh, we can somehow find a way to kind of take the politics out of it over the next few years, but we shall see. So if you, uh, if we're going to say some of these arguments that have been tried and true, at least made over the last decade, you know, the whataboutisms and the MSA and, and, you know, the, what about the jobs and so forth? If we're to move off of those, where do we go in terms of the argument? You really have to read the room. And I, I don't feel like the industry advocates have necessarily like have have some of them seem to still be t- stuck in the Trump era, if that makes sense, where you're obviously you have a Republican majority. Well, there was a Republican majority for a while. You have a Republican president. So, you know, you're kind of making more of those right wing arguments for vaping. Now, you know, with a uh, Democratic president and uh, Democratic majorities, you know, you got to be nimble and flexible with these things and and use different arguments for different people. But I see too often we're still always using those arguments for the right, but but kind of neglecting the, the arguments that might work with the lefties. Yeah. And what do you think could possibly work? I'm not you know, I'm not going to hold you to this or anything like that. But what give us give us an example of an approach, an argument that would be more amenable to someone on the left? Social justice issues, for sure. I mean, obviously, like we saw, we've seen, you know, seen many people, millions of people getting arrested for other drug crimes, um, talking about how that could potentially happen with vaping, what communities it's going to disproportionately affect. Um, You know, we've seen people get arrested for vapes, you know, in the last year or two also. Um, so bringing up things like that, war on drugs uh, style topics, I think work. Um, and and the medical stuff works too, just pointing out the UK, pointing out harm reduction, things of, things of that nature. But there is no magic bullet. You know that. I mean, there's no perfect argument. And, and it really comes down to trying to mix it up, but also read the room and know who you're talking to and, and try to... Uh, you know, understand them a bit before you use any arguments. So then you know what might persuade them the best. So I've got um, one more slide here that I wanted to show us. And this is, um, I I love trolling your Twitter feed, and this was up on your Twitter feed. (laughs) How to protect cigarette sales, helpful guide for policymakers. And this is a new Merchants of Doubt report funded by the Baptists and Bootleggers Coalition to protect cigarettes. So uh, I'm not too sure where this is exactly from, but some of the some interesting thing, the way they put this on here though, key findings. So regarding nicotine vapes and saying our research shows that smokers will only quit with e-cigarettes if they are accessible, acceptable, and affordable. And if smokers are aware that e-cigarettes are indeed safer. And it's kind of like the four A's, accessibility, acceptability, affordability, and awareness. And that's truly, you know, where a win lies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you put up too many barriers, people aren't going to aren't gonna quit. I mean, and a lot of people have talked about this recently, how many um, uh, smokers that quit were accidental quitters. And you know, it's just because they tried to vape one day. Maybe it was their friends. Maybe they just saw it at the at, at the gas station or something and decided to give it a go. And uh, they accidentally quit that way, even though it wasn't really at the in the top of their mind that they were going to do it. So, um, you know, when you take it, it, we need to be able to 
compete with cigarettes, obviously. When you have less access than cigarettes, you have less variety than cigarettes. And uh, if you're more expensive than cigarettes, you're, you're going to have less people trying those products. Exactly. And uh, in the New York Times here is a piece, this is out just uh, a day or two ago, the cloud of smoke is not a mirage. Cigarettes, once shunned, have made a comeback with a younger crowd who knows better. So smoking is up amongst young people in the United States. And this is, you know, bang, right in the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been able to read this whole article. I skimmed it a bit, but I kind of understand that the, you know, the basic premise is that more people, especially, uh, you know, uh, people in their 20s are smoking again. And there's some interviews with with folks talking about how, you know, cigarettes are the devil we know and we don't know what the risks are with vaping. And and it just goes to show how much uh, damage the, the last few years has caused, you know, with a valley, the, the messaging from public health and from uh, the anti groups and uh, from government. You know, it's people have warped ideas of what the risks are. And and that's very unfortunate because uh, regardless of whether you're pro or, or against uh, vaping, you still should want the public to know the actual risks and then be able to uh, act accordingly and make the, their choices on those. I do think we're gonna see a shift at some point though. I mean, I th unfortunately it's probably gonna happen once a big portion of the products are gone. You know, you're probably gonna, after FDA is done with the approvals and they approve maybe you know five six more products they're all of a sudden going to have an epiphany and talk about tobacco harm reduction more i i i bet anything on it